Welcome to Dads, Daughters, and Dollars, a financial podcast for everyone. Now, here's one of my favorite people. (laughs) I'm Sean, the dad, clearly the favorite. And I'm Caitlin, the daughter, clearly my dad's mistaken. Hello, hello, hello. I'm particularly happy today because I just, uh, a couple hours ago, I did my physical therapy for my knee surgery and I, it was the best I've gotten the most done. So this is going to be a good podcast because my knee's feeling good and not in pain. Yes. For context, anyone who maybe didn't listen to our last couple episodes, my dad had knee surgery, a partial knee replacement, which is no small feat. So I'm happy to hear you're feeling better. The, yeah. the swelling has gone down significantly, which is great. And now I'm the only crippled one in the house. And I'm kidding. It's just, I have lower back pain and I'm 24 and I should not. Um, but anyone maybe who's older who's listening is rolling their eyes going, oh, no, just wait, just wait. Um, but I don't mean to put words in your mouth, folks. Uh, welcome. Hello. Hi. Um, so today we're talking about The Millionaire Next Door. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. Yes or no? Well, technically, yes, because I think you told me about it in a prep for this episode, but I, I hadn't heard about it before. You had told me. So it's now. a famous book that was a bestseller and it's, it's come out in a lot of different versions and there's been updates and stuff like that. But well, let me just real quick ask, do you know when it came out? Like, 1996. Wh- okay. Okay. Yeah. Written by Thomas Stanley and William Danko. That's my time. So during their research process, They're fascinated by millionaires and how people became millionaires. So they interviewed over 500 millionaires over face-to-face over a 20-year period. Mm. And after studying them, they came up with several lessons that everyone can learn from. And I think some of them are going to surprise you. Are you... Did you kind of pick and choose from the 17 or you like did Not a 17. Break? No, I didn't say 17, just several lessons. Oh, I thought I heard 17. Sorry. No. Um, so you're, are you just kind of picking and choosing the ones that you like the best? No, I know. I'm giving you all several. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so number one, they were all frugal. So I guess I'm going to assume you're an example man like... What, in what ways were they frugal? So they live below their means. All right. So this is, this is an example of what they did. So they interviewed DECA millionaires. We're talking about people who have at least $10 million and maybe 20, 30, 40. Yeah. So I guess DECA would probably mean that it's like eight figures. DECA is 10, stands for 10. So in multiples of 10. So they threw a party at a penthouse with an expensive cater meal, expensive wine, all this stuff, right? So the, most of the DECA millionaires showed up in well-worn clothes. Not a single one of them would try the expensive meal or wine. And the only thing they had was the gourmet crackers. See, I'm so shocked to hear that. I feel like once you make money, isn't the kind of the point Is to, to spend, spend the money, it? Right. Yeah. But I think the way they got there, they didn't know how to go outrageous the way they spent it. They would spend it on things that are, you know, like maybe travel or something like that. But it didn't, it wasn't important to them to show any sort of social status. Yeah. So what's interesting to me is that I guess this is just a characteristic of the DECA millionaires versus maybe any of the other kinds. No, it was all the millionaires. But one of the examples they gave were people who were worth like $40 million still did not show up in an expensive suit that cost $1,200. 
they were showing up in like a polo shirt that was 40 bucks. And, you know, maybe it was three years old. And they didn't need big catered meals because it, it wasn't their taste. Okay. All right. The second lesson was they all budget regularly and invest often. And then the investing was done automatically, meaning that you set up something like, oh, when money comes into my account, 30% goes into this account, 30% goes in my checking, and this goes into my 401k. Yeah, it was automatic. It was done automatically. The other thing they learned is none of them would get spooked by markets when they go down. They all invested for the long term. Um, they understood that markets going down were part of market cycles, nothing to get worried about. Eventually, mm-hmm. it would come back up. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of budgeting, they don't take on any credit card debt is what they found the majority of them did. And most of them have been debt-free their entire life. So they don't buy something unless they can afford it. Okay. And these guys are millionaires who can afford anything. So in the, in the, you're saying like on their way to becoming millionaires, they didn't afford any, because at the point of you becoming a millionaire, then you can kind of afford anything. Correct. But because they're, you know, they're, um, the way they learned to become a millionaire, they had already developed these habits and then they've discovered, listen, this is not important to me to have debt so I can have something because social status doesn't mean anything. They didn't care what other people thought. Right. All right. Number three, the majority of millionaires were self-employed small business owners. Oh. So that's good. So they didn't work for anyone. In general, not all of them. But, you know, I'd say the majority of them did. But look, you're a, basically a small business owner having a loan-out company for your photography. So because there are benefits to that, the majority of these people were self-employed uh, small business owners. And one of the things they did they, on their way up is they often sold products and services to wealthy people. Interesting. Isn't I wonder cool? how... They got connected into that. Well, but, you know, like... Like, how many of these people were actually, like, self-starters? I'll give you an example. It's not unusual for millionaires to um, lease a jet, meaning, like, you become part of a group. Okay, 10 of us will pay $10,000 a month, and we get to use the private jet with the pilot, and they'll fly us wherever we want uh, five days a month. So I, I know I'm going to take regular trips to San Francisco to see my family member, and I know I'm going to take a regular trip to Colorado because I have a sports team I follow or something like that. So let's say with 10 people and everybody got three or four days, and then for $120,000 for the year, they got something like 35 to 40 days of use of the, of the plane, you know, the jet. Right. And let's say the jet holds like 12 people. Well, there were people who were becoming millionaires who leased the jets and said, I'm going to put this service together for rich people. And that's how they became wealthy. Oh, okay. So they were selling products and services to wealthy people. All right. um, This is another lesson. They always believed that financial independence was much more important than displaying any high social status. It meant nothing to them what other people thought. So they're extre- yeah, you, you, yeah, that they're was, extremely that rational. They're a hard group to convince to do an impulsive purchase or to overspend in any way. 
they don't get jealous what anybody around them is doing. Now, here's a, an interesting thing about cars. The majority of millionaires own their cars outright rather than having a lease. Because a lot of times with what people are trying to show their wealth, every two to three years, they lease a new car, whatever's the latest and greatest. So they always have a constant, oh, I'm paying $600 a month, but look at my Tesla or whatever. Right. So they're constantly on a lease and they never get off it and they never own anything. 33% of these millionaires own used vehicles. Wow. So they would spend their time getting well-maintained used car and purchasing it with cash, no loans whatsoever. Well, hey, then that's good for me because I got a used car myself. <laughs> yeah, but you know, yours was what, two years old when we bought it? Probably like, maybe like three. But it, it looks brand new. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gone through a couple of trips and a couple of spins and, you know. But it's it's driving great, right? Yeah, for um, the most part. All right, here's another lesson. They said income does not equal wealth. So it didn't matter what their salary was. It was how much of their income they could invest. And the average millionaire invested at least 20% of their income. And many of them a lot more, up to 50%. Because there were people that had goals like, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 40. Right. So even when they didn't make, oh, look, I'm a doctor making $400,000 a year. There were some of these people who were making $75,000 a year. Oh. And then they just up their savings rate. So they didn't care if their friend had a $150,000 job and they had a 75. They just knew how to save. And that was much more important to them, how much they saved and invested than what their ultimate salary was. Okay, so let me just, I guess, clarify this and whether you know the answer or not, but it, it kind of seems like these are people who were casual millionaires versus ones who like, my salary that I get from my job is a million, correct, 1.5 a year because I'm a CEO well, of I, I blank, wouldn't, blank, I wouldn't even say it casual. It was deliberate. They wanted to become millionaires and they didn't have salaries that reflected that. Which, But that's interesting because I feel like a millionaire is someone who... Has a big job. Yeah. So I guess no matter how much you pay yourself, your wealth is more than just what your salary is. But in the traditional sense, like how pe I think people, or at least how I used to think of it traditionally before I guess we started this podcast, was it was like, my salary is blank. So I have that much money to spend and move around and do whatever. So when it's investing, that money constantly changes. That's not salary. And that's not money often that you are playing with all the time. Like the money that I have saved up right now that's in the market, I don't plan on touching or, or really using for 40 years. So I don't really consider that a part of my wealth like I would yeah, my but salary because my salary you, is something I can spend. If you were to look overall at your net worth – you subtract all your debts and then you versus all your assets. You can kind of check your net wealth and it does give you a sense of confidence that, oh, I am on the right path. I think it's just, I think that this book, not that it's misleading, but I think traditionally how a millionaire is advertised is someone who spends a lot of money. And this book, I guess, is just kind of saying the exact opposite. And they interviewed 500 people over 20 years, and they found out it was just the opposite. It, you might know that Jeff Bezos has like a, you know, a $35 million house or something, so you assume that's what millionaires do. But it's not necessarily true. The, well, he's the, a billionaire, but yeah. Right, but the majority of millionaires 
did not do it like that. Well, so it makes me wonder with the wealth inequality in our country today, if that's changed drastically, because I think everyone... They they showed that the there's a new version of the book came out in 2018, mm-hmm. and all the same lessons apply. And they went back and interviewed, and it was like I think William Stanley's daughter went and did a redo on the book, and they and they showed that a lot of the same lessons still apply. Oh wow, interesting. All right, so this is the assumption that most people have is that most people this is another lesson. Most people believe that millionaires were given money by their millionaire parents. They found the exact opposite. Most of the parents of millionaires rarely made over $60,000. So they didn't have tons of money to give their kid. Okay. Uh, The millionaires instead learned to budget, live below their means, and invest regularly. That's how they became millionaires, not because it was, you know, handed down by their parents. I was going to say, this entire time I've kind of been, I'm not going to say grumpy, but like kind of under the assumption that like, okay, how many of these people... Like, what did they inherit? Oh, you're connected to millionaires? How does someone just connect with a millionaire? It's because they have a good idea and you attract the right people. And if you're only attracting business with millionaires, that makes sense. But um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was curious about that part. I, one of the reasons this book was written was to kill all those assumptions. Right. Sure, have some people been handed down money and that's why they're millionaires? Yes. But the majority of people that were interviewed for this book, and when you look at 500, and then when the daughter redid the book, I don't know how many people she interviewed, but they found the same lessons applied. It was just basically people that were willing to save, live below their means, and invest. If you take those three things, you can be fine. You have control over how much you save. You don't have control over exactly what your salary is every year. Right. Um, Okay. Half the millionaires lived in the same house for more than 20 years. Wow. They didn't just keep buying bigger and bigger houses. 90% of the millionaires lived in houses that were below, valued below a million dollars. Even though 90%? they were- 90%? Yes. Even wow. though they could have been worth $70 million, they lived in houses that were below a million. Well, it makes me wonder, like location-wise, because you can get a beautiful house for 800000 in- Blank, Correct. blank, blank place. Correct. And it would be a house that would be a million dollars if it was in a major city. So it makes me wonder about that, one. But two, um, I'm kind of surprised because I feel like a lot of millionaires or at least- Want to show off the wealth. Not necessarily that. Not that. I'm just saying that I thought real estate was kind of a big thing for- Millionaires. Yeah. So that you wouldn't want to get a property that maybe is actually worth a million dollars. Granted, and rent it out. If and- you think about it, this is if the houses are below a million. That was in 1996. Oh yeah, so they're worth probably a million now. So it makes me wonder in the oh, 2018. Oh, they could be worth two million now. Right. It makes me wonder in the 2018 version if they've kind of updated that, just with how much the housing market I feel like has gone up. So back in in 20 or uh, 1996, 28 percent of the people live in homes that were that were millionaires were live in homes that were valued at three hundred thousand dollars or less. So therefore, the name of the book, The Millionaire Next Door, we live in a very modest neighborhood. We could have millionaires next door to us just because they don't have a reason to go, I have to move to the bigger, bigger, bigger neighborhood and have a a colossal pool and three-story building and an elevator. It's not important to them. It's what it's important to you in terms of like, do I need to flaunt the wealth or I don't? 
Well, I'll say this. I The weird thing about our neighborhood and just our area in general, I see a lot of really, really, really nice cars, but they're in front of houses that just... Are not really, really nice. Yeah, they just maybe need a facelift, at least on the outside. So maybe I can't speak to what all the houses look like on the inside, but definitely on the outside, I'm like... Have you seen a bucket of paint in the past 30 years? Not that you need to do that to make it better, but like the grass is dead. Just just not a lot of maintenance, but then they're driving like a G-Wagon or something. So I don't know if like in our area, the keeping up with the Joneses doesn't matter what your house looks like, but what it matters what you drive. But we also do live near one of the biggest dealership areas, I guess right. you could say. Um like our area has its own jingle. <laughs> um, uh, right. na, 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 yeah, na, I know. Yeah. Um, anyways, so, uh, but yeah, and when my boyfriend was in town, he also noticed that. And I thought, oh, maybe it's just me assuming too much. But like, it's definitely a strange combination. But so it makes me wonder if maybe they are millionaires and the one thing they might spend their money on is cars. Right. And maybe that's just, you know, a, that's just our area or that's a handful of the people one of the things, that the book didn't interview. <laughs> no, one of the things they found out in the book is the people that had usually really big, nice cars were not millionaires. And sorry. But so how did they interview them if they... So they they did speak to other neighbors in the neighborhood. Oh, and they're like, oh, wow, this guy's got a Porsche. And like... And the Are guy, you a millionaire, sir? And they're like, no. No, it wasn't so much that. They would ask him a group of 20 questions or something like that. And then after a while, they find out the guy had a lot of debt, but he loved his car. Right. And the guy who's the millionaire next door is maybe worth $4 million, has a car that's seven years old... He bored it used, but it runs great and it gets him to and from work and he doesn't care. Right. Yeah. Because maybe his big expense would be like, I want to go to Europe twice a year. That's much more important to him than having the Porsche. Yeah. You know, so so it's what people want. Here's the last lesson. The majority of wealthy people are married and stay married to the same person. Okay. Yeah. Because I guess your assets split in half if you get divorced. Correct. But- they, you know, when they made a decision to who you're going to stay with, they treasured that decision and they and they took it seriously. It's the same thing we talk all the time, like, oh, if you're going to jump in and out of the market, I, the example I always give, like, okay, if you invest in a business or an index fund or something like, do you, the first time the market goes down, and by the way, last week, the stock market went down 3%, but, you know, on Friday, I think they said the stock market went, the Dow went down 500 points. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. And, but other people might be, I have to react to that news. Mm-hmm. So I've said to you before, if something you get married and the first time you have an argument, you go, well, that's it. Getting divorced. It's like, then how much invested did you, did you have in that marriage if one argument would split you up? So I think of the stock market the same way as like, all right, the business is down and the whole stock market's down now, so let's judge it on one day as opposed to a long-term judging of it. Right. And so wealthy people tended to stay married to the same person because it's, and of course, if you split the money, if someone got divorced, that would make them less wealthy. But they took it serious when they got married that this is the person I'm going to spend my life with. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, I think, isn't the divorce rate like 50%? Yeah, something like that. So, I mean, I think people who don't plan on getting divorced, but then, you know, things out of their control, like their partner cheats and or like 
there's a death that completely ruins the, you know, just things that are kind of unexpected that life will throw at you. I think that can certainly affect things, but that's good to know. I don't plan on getting divorced, but like no, I said, but I don't my think point anyone is, does. <laughs> the same way they were serious about saving investing, they're very serious about the person they chose to marry. Like, and they're serious about once I make this decision, I'm staying in it for the long term. Right. Um, so those are all the lessons from the millionaire next door, and I, I think some of them. I'm hoping some of them surprised you, but. You know, the overall takeaway for me is they tended to be really modest and didn't show off their wealth. Well, so let me ask this. Did you choose those reasons from the book or that was all of them? Um, Well, there's other ones that are, you know, similar to that, but those were the big overarching ones. Because I got to say, a lot of our episodes have kind of touched on that. Like this is not the first episode you've said live below your means and some of the other lessons that they have in there so it's it's curious i'm, I'm curious to know if those were the reasons that spoke to you because that that's no, your that personal was, that was, philosophy if you go online and you say top 10 lessons from millionaire next door live below your means i'm sure is in number one or number two well it seems like it it's a on every place that reviews it seems like it's an echo throughout uh a lot of the reasoning like don't keep up with the Joneses, live below your means. Don't care about what anyone thinks of you because you're living below your means. Um, don't get a new house or a new car because you're living below your means. But don't- that's not true. They're not saying don't get a new house or a new car. The, a new house might be really important to them, but they don't necessarily, if they're worth $10 million, go, I got to get a $2.5 million house. They might yeah. go, I might find something really nice for 900000 Got you. Okay. No, that makes sense. It just seems like the... The overarching thing is like prioritize what you spend, but don't spend all of it and don't don't spend too much either. Because, yeah, a quarter if someone's worth ten million dollars and they buy a two point five million dollar house. Yeah, that's a quarter cool. quarter of it just gone. I mean, granted, it's in a house now. So that's and then nice, there's maintenance but, and then there's property insurance and all that. Yeah, well, we know that. I mean, I haven't been never been a homeowner. Um, but, uh, you guys are dealing with fun stuff this week are, we're getting a new AC unit eventually, (laughs) eventually. So, but I mean, the overall thing from the book is not so much, you have to do this. This is how millionaires became millionaires is this way. And it wasn't just like, well, these three guys are extra special. No, 500 people were interviewed and that's what they all learned from these 500 people was like, I don't need all this other stuff. Right. Well, so 500 people is a lot, and it makes me wonder potentially how many more lessons would be, um, whatchamacallit, uh, learned, or I guess things that all of them had in common, the more people you interviewed, number one, and or, this this is just, I mean, it's a separate book, if you interviewed billionaires. Because here's the thing I'm, I want to just throw in here one second. Um, who is uh, Bezos's ex-wife? Oh, name Mackenzie Amanda? Scott. McK- Mackenzie, and it was an M. Mackenzie Scott um, has donated, when she got divorced from him, has donated, I think, $8 billion. Close to that. Close to that. Over the last two years. Over the last, yeah, a couple years. And um, when she got divorced, I think she was worth $30 billion. Um, Some 30 or 40. Yeah, and now she's worth 68. So she can't give away her money fast enough which is what it's, it's something I, I saw. You know online. what that's about? 
That's because that's compound compound interest. But I found it fascinating because I go, it makes me wonder how different the habits are of billionaires when their money just keeps growing at such an intense pace, which I mean, that's great. But like, what are you going to do with $68 billion? Well, she's smart and she goes, I can't spend that over my lifetime. So, you know, she was part of that. uh, I don't know if it's called the giving pledge that Warren Buffett started which is that you agree to give away at least 90 years at 95% of your wealth over your lifetime. Well, that's great. Because of all the good it can do. Yeah. Well, let's, let's cure world hunger and cancer and also invent better transportation because LA for sure needs it. Um, so Mackenzie, if you get on that, Warren, maybe hop in on that too. That'd be great. Appreciate it. Um, maybe help Buddha judge out. Um, anyways, that was my tangent. Um, so my I don't know uh, please what else. Read, please read the millionaire next door for anybody your age and you're 24. So let's say anybody from let's say 18 to 25, read the book. It's worth it. Even if you read an abridged version of it, it's worth it because I think you'll be surprised. Well, I definitely need to go pick up a copy now. Rent it from the library. Ha ha, not buying it. Live below my means. There you go. Um, But thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you're in California, stay cool out there. I know it's pretty hot this week. Um, What am I, a radio host? Jeez Louise. Sorry, everyone. Um, (laughs) Thanks for subscribing. Yes, thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. The content on Dads, Daughters, and Dollars is for informational purposes only and does not constitute professional financial advice. Listeners should consult an attorney, accountant, financial planner, or other professionals to suit your specific needs.